what we've been doing through from uh, this summer and we'll be going into the fall is exploring just some of what feels like the more ordinary aspects of the Christian life and seeing that they're actually these extraordinary opportunities to encounter God and to encounter each other. And these last few weeks, we've been exploring the Bible. Um, you may have very little um, background with the church or with Christianity or with faith in general, but you probably know that Christians hold this thing to be pretty important and significant uh, in our lives and in our worship and in history. And so we've been sort of exploring not so much um, data about the Bible, but um, how does God encounter us in the Word? Because what this thing is, is an opportunity to encounter God, the God who made you and who made everything. And uh, two weeks ago, we looked that the Scripture is an encounter with God's love, that the way that He meets us in the Word is in His love. And last week, we saw that the Scripture is an encounter with God that takes the form of a lifelong meditation. And this morning, as Susan already alluded to, we're going to see how the, the Bible is actually a story um, that comes crashing into our story. So uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. If you have a Bible you want to turn there, it's the second book of the Bible. It's also in the bulletin, and it'll probably be on the screen in a thousand other places. Or you can just listen, because that's how God's people received the word for thousands and thousands of years. So if it was good enough for them, probably good enough for us. But if it's not then you have many other ways that you can follow along. But uh, I wanted to, before we jump in, to recommend a book to you. Um, it's a book by Leslie Newbegin called A Walk Through the Bible. I would say that Giorgio has many copies that he could lend to you, but I have given all of Giorgio's copies away to other people over the last three years, which he probably didn't know about till right now. Um, but I ordered some more, and so they're on the way. They'll be here tomorrow or on Tuesday. Anyway, it's a very short book. It's a great book about um, what the Bible is all about. And it begins with this quote. Leslie Newbegin is a pastor, theologian, and he was in India for a long time. And he quotes a Hindu friend of his from India who says this. He said, I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. It is not a book of religion. And anyway, we have plenty of books of religion in India. Amen to that. We don't need any more. I find in your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history. The history of the whole of creation and the history of the human race. And therefore, a unique interpretation of the human person as a responsible actor in history. That is unique. There is nothing else in the whole of religious literature to put alongside it. What Nubigan's Hindu friend um, was saying in the Bible is very, is, is so real and true, and it's simply that the Bible is a story. It actually claims to be the story, our story, history's story, the story of us, the story of God's movement throughout time. And maybe this feels like the biggest claim to us this morning, but actually the Bible is a story, it's the story that we are living in. It explains our lives, why we exist, and it takes the form of a story. If you read the scripture, it's simply story after story after story of what God has done in real time, and it's a story that we live in. 
Um, the last time my family and I went to Disney, um, just because, you know, there's a reason why stereotypes exist for me, and it's because they're real. Okay. Um, and uh, last time we went to Disney, uh, we were riding the Haunted Mansion, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you on a ride at a theme park, but sometimes the ride gets stuck, my friends, and it does not continue to move the way it should. And uh, we were riding the Haunted Mansion, which is, it keeps moving the whole time. It's a little bit spooky, but it's really lighthearted trip through this uh, haunted house, hence the name, the Haunted Mansion. And, uh, but there's this part toward the end where you go through a cemetery, and there's all these ghouls, and they're coming out of the ground, and out of the coffins, and they're flying around, and um, they're sing singing this song, the grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize, right? And it's really fun when you're moving through it, and it's kind of funny until it stops on that very place on the ride, and you sit there for 10 minutes, and suddenly, you are not just observing the story, but you are rooted and unable to move from the story, and it was jarring, and it was not the way that we wanted to encounter the story of the Haunted Mansion at all. And like that experience, our experience in the Haunted Mansion, um, our encounter with God in the Scripture really comes into full color when we stop just observing or moving through it from a distance, but when we actually stop and let it become the story that we are in, when we become rooted in it, when we begin to live this story. And that's why I wanted to read this um, passage about Moses, because Moses is an amazing study of this kind of encounter with God um, when suddenly the story of God interrupts your whole life and becomes the story that you're living in. And it was jarring for him too. But anyway, enough setup. This is the good part. Exodus chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. This is the word of the living God. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, great name, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked... And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And so would we be. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. The Hebrews have been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. 
Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Okay, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Maybe that would be their first question. Well, what was his name? Make sure it's the right one, because there was a lot of gods. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, which is, he's saying I am again right there when you see it, it says L-O-R-D in capital letters, he's saying Yahweh, I am. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, our God, um, I read this story, and sometimes it's mildly interesting. Sometimes it feels like the only thing that matters. And I know that we are all along that spectrum this morning. And so, Lord, I I want to meditate with my sisters and brothers for this brief time on this passage with you, to hear your story and to be drawn into your story because it's a story of grace, it's a story of redemption, it's a story of power. And so, Spirit, I pray that you would meet us here Spirit of Jesus, lead us into your word. Um, Help us to see it for what it is. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So um, I don't know how often you've ever shared your story with someone or felt like you had the opportunity to do that. Something I think that we all want to do and are also terrified to do. Um, But I'm in a, a pastor's group, and last year when we were together, we did this exercise where you tell your story, And what you do is you get this timer set for one minute, and you have one minute to tell the group everything about yourself, okay? Tell all your story. And that one minute goes by like it was five seconds. It feels like it happens. Like, as soon as you get started, they're like, well, you didn't even mention that you were married. I was like, I didn't get to it yet, you know? Um, You you have one minute, you're supposed to tell your whole story. But then you reset the the timer for four minutes. And what you do with the the other four minutes is you say... Everything you say, you have to start with, what I didn't tell you was, what I didn't tell you was, what I didn't tell you was, and that four minutes feels like 40 minutes. But in that four minutes, the what I didn't tell you was part of sharing your story is where all the good stuff is that we all want to hear and we all resonate with and we all want to enter into. That's the good stuff, even though for us it feels like the bad stuff. Now, if Moses was telling his story, because he plays a big role through the rest of this book and the rest of the Bible, his one-minute version of his story might start right here in Exodus chapter 3. And he would say, well, 
I was just this guy, and then God spoke to me out of this bush. It was crazy. You wouldn't believe it. And he would start from there. If he had to do the four-minute what I didn't tell you was, he would probably do Exodus chapter 2, which we didn't read. But what it would sound like, because it matters, is if Moses was to say all the parts of his story that he didn't include in the one-minute version, he would say, what I didn't tell you was, I was born in Egypt and the government was killing all the baby boys that were Hebrews. What I didn't tell you was that my mama was real smart and she figured out a way to hide me for three months. What I didn't tell you was I was kind of loud and big, so after three months she couldn't hide me anymore. So she being this amazing and bright, enterprising woman, she put me in a basket in the river. What I didn't tell you was is that the daughter of the ruler of Egypt found me and felt bad for me, had mercy on me, and she actually kept me and brought me into her house. What I didn't tell you was, it was really funny because then she asked my mama to take care of me for a while. But what I didn't tell you was that I grew up in the house of Pharaoh, but I never felt like an Egyptian because I wasn't. But I also never felt like a Hebrew because I wasn't. What I didn't tell you was I didn't know my family, I didn't know my people. I didn't tell you was I grew up and I had an identity crisis, so I was walking along and I saw an Egyptian soldier beating a Hebrew, so I killed the Egyptian soldier. And then I was like, what am I supposed to do? So what I didn't tell you was after that, I buried him in sand, which is a terrible place to bury people because you always find them. What I didn't tell you was the next day I was walking along feeling like the defender of my people and I actually knew who I was and I saw two Hebrews and they were fighting and I stepped in as a peacemaker and they said, who are you? Get out of my face. I want nothing to do with you. Who made you a ruler over us? And they rejected me. What I didn't tell you was, is the Pharaoh that raised me was going to kill me, so I ran away. What I didn't tell you was, I went into this foreign land. They weren't Egyptians or Hebrews, and I met someone, I settled down, I had a baby boy, and I left all that behind me. That would be Moses' story up to this point in Exodus chapter 3. He had left all that behind. But So here's my question as we're thinking about the Bible. Why does God include the four-minute what I didn't tell you was part of Moses' story in this story? Why is it the case? I mean, simply we could start with there was a guy, Moses, and God said, you're going to rescue my people out of Egypt and then keep moving from there. It would give us everything we needed to know, right? How is all of this relevant in what God is going to do in Egypt? And this is why. It sets you up to ask certain questions about this Moses. It sets you up to ask, who is this person? Who is his family? Who are his people? What is his history? What is his purpose? What is his story? It makes you interested in how Moses arrived at this moment because this is what happens when you know all that and you know that Moses is not looking for God he's not an Egyptian he's not a Hebrew he doesn't have a family he doesn't have a people he's started his life completely over from nothing and he's tried to put all that behind him and then God speaks to him then it comes with power first the first sort of bit of power that it does for us is it shows us that God doesn't just reward people that have always been seeking after him and are super spiritual. If you read the Bible, most of the time that God shows up to somebody, they have wanted nothing to do with him, and that should encourage us. 
But what happens in the story is God speaks to him out of that bush and he says, I have heard the cry of my people and I'm going to rescue them and you are going to be the person who does it. And when we hear Moses say, but why should it be me? Or I can't do it. It makes all the sense in the world. He's saying, you, the one who doesn't know your family, you, the one that doesn't feel stable on the earth, you, the one who is not an Egyptian and not a Hebrew, you, the one who has been rejected by your people as a rescuer, you're the one I'm going to use. And look what he says. There's two things I want to point out about what he says to Moses. In verse 6, God says to Moses, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What he's saying to Moses is, your father knew me. You have a family. You have a history. You have a people. You have a story. And you have a purpose even though you don't know anything about it. I am continuing my story in your life through people that you never knew. I am the God of your Father. I probably don't have to do much work to hear it to make the connection for us, right? Moses goes on and says in, in verse 11, Moses said to God, Moses actually has an issue with this if you read the rest of Exodus, but he's like, yeah, I don't know about that plan. I don't like it. But he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And what does God say to him? I will be with you. I will be with you. And knowing everything you know about Moses' story, the, but what I didn't tell you was part, who had ever been with Moses? His parents? His adoptive parents? His people? Pharaoh? Moses had no home, no family, no place on the earth. And he was just like God's people. And the, the reason we, we could continue just to pull stuff out of this story th that would show us that it was actually Moses' story, the story of his life up until this moment where he encounters God as an older man. It was all of this story that prepared him not just for the job that God wanted him to do, but it's also what prepared him to encounter God at all. God showed up out of nowhere to Moses, and he is not prepared to manage this encounter with God. You, you think how, how caught off, off guard he must be by this. Could you imagine being caught this off guard every time you open the Bible? It would be thrilling, actually. He's not prepared to manage this encounter with God, but God has been orchestrating his story day by day, step by step. So now... It is exactly Moses' glories and his failings, his gifts and experiences, his shame, all that that God is going to use and to redeem to rescue his people. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. 
when he says, who should I tell them sent me, God responds simply, I am who I am. He's saying the one that's going to be with you, because this is what the Bible is all about. The center of everything in the Bible is that God is there, that he is with, with us, and that he is the central actor. When he says, I am who I am, tell them I am sent you. Saying the one who created reality is sending you. The one who made the amazing stuff that the James Webb telescope shows us is out there. He's the one sending you. The story of Scripture, the story of human history, God is the hero. He's the center. If you meditate on these passages all throughout the Bible, what you find in the center is God being with His people. No matter what is happening, He is. He speaks and we listen. When He moves, we move. Just like that. Moses' name holds a story. Sounds like to be drawn up out of the water. That's what Moses means. His son Gershom, his name holds a story. It sounds like sojourner or foreigner in a foreign land. His name holds a story. God's name, Yahweh, I am, holds the story of everything. And that's who God says will be with him. There was an old theologian named John Calvin. I don't know what you think about him, but this is a hot line right here. In the beginning of his big magnum opus, he said, nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Now, he meant a lot of things by that, but part of what that means is that if you don't know your story and your history enough to appreciate the glories and the wounds of what, what has happened to you and what you have done and where you've come from, then the story of Scripture will never find deep resonance with you. If you're going to encounter God, then you actually have to encounter God. Not the you that you pretend to be or the you that you want to be or the you that you're striving to be, but the you who you are. You will remain an observer of Scripture until you begin to find your story inside God's story. Um, this happened for me, um, I, I grew up, you know, it's funny because like a lot, when I talk to a lot of folks, it's a lot of y'all, like you're always processing like your, your childhood, like in the religious context, because most of us grew up in church. Some of you are growing up in church right now and someone will have the joy in 10 or 15 years of processing all this stuff that happened to you. That's one of the cool things about working with college students. But, um, but I had a different story because when I grew up, I never believed in God, not from, from the jump. No one I knew really went to church was just not part of our lives. And I always thought people that did that, since I didn't know any, um, were weird, didn't need God. And at some point, I kind of recognized that there was, probably was a God, but I was not really interested Anyway, when I was in college, I played, some of you have heard this, but I played in the ACDC tribute band and with some guys, and they went to this campus ministry on campus called RUF. And I went with them to this meeting, and there was probably eight people in the room, yet someone was preaching anyway. I would never preach in a room of eight people. Um, 
I preached in a church with two people in it before, but not in a campus. I would just, let's just have a conversation. Anyway, he's preaching out of this book of the Bible called Hosea. And um, if you don't know this, this story, basically there's a prophet, his name's Hosea. He marries a woman who's a prostitute. They have some children. She runs off to her old lovers and her old way of life. And God tells Hosea, I actually want you to go spend the money they would take to buy her as basically like a personal slave. But I want you to buy her out of that, not to be your slave, but to be your wife and for you to be her husband and to love her. And he's sharing this story about how God sends someone to be, to pay this exorbitant price to be their true lover and to actually care for them. And... Um, I started understanding this, this story about Jesus who had come and who had given himself and paid this price of his own life not just to like save me, but to, to make me his so that he could love me. That I didn't come to God, he came to me. I was actually chasing every other lover and hurting them and they were hurting me. And Jesus had come to make me his because that's how Jesus works. And, you know, part of what was so resonant and has continued to be resonant all these years is when I was growing up, I didn't know any men. I was raised by strong, amazing women who had no time for men. Understandably so, because of some of the ones that have been around their lives. But for me, men don't come looking for you when you're lost or when you're ashamed. But Jesus does. So when I read about Moses, what people, what history, what purpose, I'm like, yeah, same. And that same God says, when I come to this place, I will be with you. Uh, a few years later, I shared that story with a, with a young woman who was a friend of mine. She was a pastor's daughter. And she shared with me that she actually encountered God and came to know Jesus, even though she had grown up in the church, as her father preached this Hosea story as his wife, her mom, had turned her back on him. And she said, what I heard that morning from the Word as my dad opened it, knowing his pain, was I need to be rescued as badly as my mom does. Jesus loves me like that and comes after me. And this is actually the way, and I'm I'm bringing this down for a landing. I'm a little over my time. It's all right. That's why we moved the service to 10. It's fine. Um, This is actually the way that we're called to give this good news of Jesus to our children. We see it in in baptism. This This is the call to us as parents to say, the God who has been with me in my story will be with you in your story. And so will I. Because he's done it again and again and again. Scripture is a story. It's the story of God coming to make everything right. And I don't know all of you, but I bet you that you wish this story would come true. That in the end, what would be true is that God is making all things new and pursuing you and inviting you into his love to redeem your story. This past Easter, I don't know if you've ever been, really been in church, but on Easter, if someone says to you, um, Christ is risen, you're supposed to say, he's risen indeed. 
right? That's like, that's what people say in the church. And there was a friend visiting, and she said to another dear friend, uh, she said, Christ is risen. And the friend who was visiting said, I sure hope so. I would like to, I'm not on staff anymore. I would like to, can we do that next year? Like, we just change it? I sure hope so. That's, that's me. It's, it's Kendrick Lamar, who in Mama says, I've been looking for you my whole life, an appetite for the feeling I can barely describe where you reside. Is it in a woman? Is it in money or mankind? Tell me something. I think I'm losing my mind. Kendrick is looking. Look, you've been looking for Jesus your whole life. And this story is true. And the answer to the question, can my story be redeemed, is yes. Because Jesus is alive. My kids were watching The Force Awakens yesterday, and I walked in just long enough to hear Maz say to Ray, the belonging you seek is not behind you, but ahead. And that's true. So, a couple of things. Sermon's over. Um, and that gets them every time. Um, because everyone's nervously waiting for the sermon to be over, but they don't want to say that. Because they were like, I was in the first eight minutes, and then I've been kind of checking in and out since then. Um, same. Um, <laughs> you may be going to the beach at some point this summer, and you're going to see the ocean. Next time you see the ocean, these are two bits of homework. And you're going to look out at the ocean, and you're going to see it crashing on the beach again and again and again. That ocean out there has been crashing on the beach a long time. A long time. Long before we were here. So when you enter that ocean, you enter an ancient story. And you have your moment in it. And then it continues on into the future forever. When you bring yourself into it, you are part of something much bigger and more powerful than you. And you can fight against it and it will destroy you. Or you can ride the waves, baby. And as God encounters us in this ancient, powerful, churning story, he invites us into it. And the water's fine. So that's one when you look at the ocean. Think about the Bible somehow. Okay. The second homework is I want to invite you to find a couple of people that you know or that you don't know. Maybe you'll meet them today. And I'd like you to sit down with them and I want you to set a timer for one minute and say, I'm going to tell you everything about me in this one minute. And then to spend four minutes saying, what I didn't tell you was, I didn't tell you was. And the hope that in that practice, when we return to the story of Scripture, we'll resonate with God more deeply. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that I've uh, gone over a little. Um, but I thank you for the privilege of meditating on your word and pray, Lord, that something of what we've just looked at um, would abide in us, that we would come to find our, our people, our history, our family, our belonging, not just in what has been behind, but what's ahead into the, the life and the story that you invite us into. Thank you that you are and that you are with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.